Welcome, everyone, to the AI and Business Podcast. I'm Matthew DeMello, Senior Editor here at Emerge Technology Research. Today's guest is Fabrizio Berlando, Global Head of Advisors Consulting and Digital Labs at MasterCard. Previous to MasterCard, Fabrizio served as a project leader at Boston Consulting Group, as well as a senior consultant to the United Nations. Fabrizio joins us on today's program to talk about the current new wave of generative AI tools, their impact on the financial services sector, and how SMBs stand to benefit from a blossoming market for microservices emerging in their wake. Without further ado, here's our conversation. Fabrizio, thanks so much for being with us on the program this week. Matthew, thank you for having me. Hello, everybody. Yes, absolutely. And the podcast audience welcomes you as well. Very excited to have folks from MasterCard on the program. And I think it's worth it, especially just for this moment where we're currently in an artificial intelligence adoption across this sector. It's worth just to get a pulse check as to what you're seeing as the biggest challenges for the financial services sector and beyond, given just the current state of adoption in 2023 right now. Sure. Thank you for the question. So like me, you probably noticed that artificial intelligence is, is really everywhere these days. But I believe that w- what you're hearing about is just the tip of the iceberg. Uh, I mean, artificial intelligence has been around for decades. We The first paper, I believe, was uh, dating back to 1956. But that was mainly rule-based AI. So you know, tasks that require analyzing big amount of data take, take sure. mastercard for example I'm just going to use that as a, as a as an example we'd be leveraging ai for for a long time for decades decades now it's been a game changer imagine that we have today 125 billion transactions we can analyze them in real time on the network and that is obviously made possible by artificial intelligence we have an army of data scientists and technologies that are dedicated to developing those solutions. But coming back to, to the evolution of AI, it didn't stop at rule-based systems. We have more processing power now. So we see what, and we hear what, we hear everywhere the emergence of generative AI. So that's a sort of a new AI that can train itself on very large data sets and develop its own rules and interface. Until now, we had to give the rules. Recently, simplifying, recently, with so much data, artificial intelligence can can learn by itself. But here's the catch. We really must understand that this is based on a statistical model, not deterministic ones. What that means is that we are actually receiving a probable truth, not a binary truth. So what we ask to generative AI is based on analysis of a large amount of data, but it could be that it has what we call the hallucination. So it could be that the answer is wrong. I always say it's like having a a large number of interns, but you still have to check what they produce, right? right? So having said that, it's it's a great moment for financial services, for, for everybody, obviously, but financial services, there's what we call the democratization of AI. 
everybody's trying to innovate, Absolutely. scale, and integrate the technology into our lifestyles. We believe there's a, there's a delicate balance between the speed of innovation and a sustainable use. So to, to answer your question on one of the big challenges that we see is that this has to be done in a, in a responsible way. From the beginning, Masaga having a, a large number of data, we have established what we call data responsibility principle from the beginning, ensuring you know ethical AI application. So concerns like data security, privacy, transparency are very very important. You see some scary things on the internet on taking some of the data and basically using it for purposes that we don't want to see and we don't want to hear about it. Also, we believe that the data that are produced by the consumer are property of the consumer. So the consumer should own them. And if they wish to benefit from them, this is great. If I go on Netflix and I want the system to suggest the new movie, there's a great way of doing it. And if I'm happy, that the system does that, I'll benefit and it's great. But I think there needs to be a little bit more awareness of what's behind it. So we do have a governance team that, you know, hopefully puts us in a a good place to be a trusted partner and and provider. Absolutely. And just to even dive into your answer a little bit here in in terms of, I really appreciate, we we haven't quite gone this technical, although especially for those deep in AI, this really isn't that technical, just in terms of the difference in terms of the popularity that we're seeing right now of systems. You know, AI has been around for a while, you noted since 1956. I think even people are used to, you know, even my mom is used to the fact that they've been using this technology or it's been, you know, having an influence at least for the last 10 years. But the real difference in the stuff that's getting explosive and really catching a lot of attention right now are new tools that are probabilistic, not deterministic, as you said, and not rules based. And this is also where we get the same problem. This goes part parcel with the capacity of these systems for hallucinations, for inaccuracies, and especially what you're getting down to in the latter part of your answer in terms of AI ethics, that that brings an all new focus to AI ethics, especially because these these systems not being rules based, it's very easy for them to break our unspoken rules out here in the real world, which we love to which we love to describe as ethics. All that said, and I, I appreciate especially, you know, describing MasterCards and you know, ambitions to really let consumers own their data and really treat it as their property. You also mentioned transparency. I'm wondering if we can go into a bit more detail about how you're approaching kind of the black box of these systems to explain to people this is where the data we're acting like, you you know, that you own and where it's moving across this this information ecosystem. Let me also a a quick comment on what you said before. You might want to use it or not. Uh Sure. So on the deterministic and probabilistic, a good example is Alexa. Alexa Mm. is based on Google. So everybody thinks Alexa is an artificial intelligence similar to Gen AI. However, when you ask Alexa to switch on the light or switch off the light, that has been programmed and there's a clear path to switch on that particular light. There's no probabilistic or there's no learning system behind it. So Alexa, in a way, is the old style artificial intelligence. ChatGPT is the new style artificial intelligence. There are 
many examples. Exactly. I've asked recently the world record of crossing the channel by foot and uh, ChatGPT gave me a number of somebody who crossed the channel by foot, which obviously is not feasible, but you know, it found a number of data and it created an answer, which is very probable, very plausible, but it's actually not true. Answering your question on the, on the data, I think we use, we use four principles that I think would explain well. We say that you own it, you control it, you benefit, and we protect it. I think that's, that's really how we look at data, is that the consumer owns the data. They produce, the consumer can control it, can benefit from the example also that we had earlier on, on Netflix, but we believe that we can and, and should protect it. We have invested in one of the, one of the most advanced, I believe, anonymization tool that is in circulation, it's called Truata where we take the data and we have a number of de-identification, encryption, and anonymization, sorry for the technical terms, but that basically You're fine. means that any data that is associated to math is completely de-associated from math, and it's aggregated with data from a lot of many other consumers. That's still very valuable data, because if you put them all together, you can do a number of very interesting things. During the pandemic, for example, we use that to create what we call recovery insight to help banks, governments to react and recover to the pandemic, looking at how people were spending, looking at also the movement of the people, again, not individuals, but number of people and see how we also work with some government to help them to understand how the pandemic could possibly spread. So there's a large amount of uh, very interesting things that you can do with this data. It's just that people need to be aware and own it. Right. Now, now in terms of that, just using data in, in that aggregate way, you're not looking at just me and saying, all right, well, here's Matt DeMello and here's what he's doing with all of his money. It's here are all of our customers. Matt DeMello's in there somewhere in the mix. How do you let me or my mom know that their data is being used in that way to, to leverage for these benefits, just as kind of a, a larger conversation, I know, because a lot of what we're talking about in terms of privacy and everything else, there's going to need to be some sort of trade-off. And I'm just, just curious as to kind of uh, MasterCard's approach there, just in terms with aggregate data. Sure. The, the main use of our aggregate data is to protect our network and uh, the consumer. So let me give you an example on, on fraud protection. As we said earlier, there's 125 billion transactions. And those transactions are, you know, some of them are, are and will be fraudulent. So earlier systems meant that not only there could be frauds, but there could also be false positive. So it could be you trying to pay and your car got stopped. And maybe it was a very important purchase. With the AI of the new generation, not only you protect the consumer, but you allow them to spend and reduce the false positives. So when it's you, it's really you. We have uh, systems, for example, I find this fascinating, that can learn the way you move your thumb on your device. And if you give consent and you want us to help you with that, if somebody else steals your iPhone and they move the thumb in a different way, will might ask for additional security questions. And that's one of the applications that I find fascinating on how to use the data. 
Absolutely. And you were talking in our in your first answer about, you know, just a couple of the implied problems. There's also a lot of opportunities here, a, a, a lot of things that are going to improve people's lives. Just about what you described as the democratization of AI. And I think this goes the next step further for what a lot of us kind of in the deeper baseball of AI have been talking about the last few years of the democratization of data, data being everywhere, but also now the power for everyone to build their own personal LLMs and their own personal models to help aggregate these data, help use these data in a way that that benefits individuals. You were talking a little bit before about uh, that use of aggregate data to help banks during the pandemic recover their own data also to help governments, you know, communicate more effective effectively about COVID. But I'm more curious just as to, you know, the typical, you know, financial services relationship. How do you see financial services leaders using data or leveraging data tools to help, you know, address a couple of the challenges you brought up in terms of the democratization of AI? So I think for every company that wants to utilize AI, it might seem simplistic, but the most important thing is to understand what, what we're trying to solve. So generative AI is one of the best icebreaker for a conference, for a dinner, for everything. Today, everyone is talking about it, but it might not be the best tool for everything and, and everyone. So I think companies really need to look at the, at the specifics and, and find the problems they're looking to solve. For example, artificial intelligence could be an amazing support to decision-making. We discussed already how analyzing a you know, vast array of data can help fight fraud. The self-learning, and we talked about it earlier, that means that there's a constant recalibration of the model. So it's not only fraud, but let's say anti-money laundering. We could trace in, anti, in, in money laundering, or very often the funds are taken from an account and then sent to a number of different accounts. We can now trace movements of funds across the network and we can block the, the transaction after a few hops. And that's something that is peculiar of artificial intelligence where it learns the different behaviors of, of frauds there. Absolutely. I appreciate that you began your answer with, you know, hey, I know generative AI is all the hype right now and that a lot of C-suites out there, a lot of uh, a lot of business leaders might be getting the impression that, you know, these tools, you know, fit a certain kind of problem that actually might be better suited for first generation, more uh, deterministic solutions of AI and more rules based. Just in terms of, you know, working with business leaders, how do you recommend thinking in terms of the business task at hand that they want to deploy AI for, and maybe that they don't need generative AI, maybe that they don't need a probabilistic solution. What does the problem need to look like? What does the nail need to look like if we know that we might already have the hammer without going off to go get a large language model? Sure. So there's usually the the, the most important piece is, is obviously the data side. So if there's a large number of data behind it, and is if there are repetitive tasks, very often the AI is a great tool. Now, not necessarily generative AI, but AI. So if you think right. about automation of, of operations, we've all been there where uh, there's applications that you need to do. There's thousands of customers. So application for a new card used to take weeks to go through now with a, a combination of new technology and artificial intelligence using things like character recognition, image recognition, 
when you compare a video of the applicant with a document that could reduce the time to open a card to hours. And we work with some of our customers, what we call digital first, that I believe there was a video done where somebody was queuing in a supermarket. And by the time they started queuing, they started applying for a card. And when they were at the end of the line, they could pay with that card. I don't know if it's the same everywhere, but that gives you the idea of the of the the power and the help that that gives. So right. um, repetitive tasks and large amounts of data. The second one, and we're getting, I think, closer to then uh, generative AI being in the picture, is supporting decision making. As we said earlier, cyber fraud and and anti money laundering is a good example, but also customer value management and the example of Netflix and Amazon that you all know where you are suggested what next what is next for you can be applied also to financial services. So let's say you have an algorithm that analyzes data and cross-selling and you know customer value management actions are, are proposed by an automated system, obviously when consent is given and when the client is is happy to go through that. The last one is where I think the power of of Gen AI is at its maximum and is tailoring the marketing to the individual customer, what is called today hyper-personalization. So if I log into a website and you log into a website, the first time we log, it's probably the same in the same the 12th time you log and the 12th time i log the website will be completely different because it's it's learned from our behavior the way we click the things we like you might like black more if it's a retail clothes website you might like black i might like more brighter colors you more into sports maybe i'm more into classic and then we find the things that we want now this content is completely generated by artificial intelligence. And we start from recommendation of movies. We can recommend pieces of clothes and that could go on and on. And many people used to talk about the metaverse. I think it's a little bit out of fashion now, but I think the combination of generative AI and what can happen in a virtual reality or augmented reality world is is where the where the world is going here. Yeah, I I definitely think I mean especially when you get deep baseball with a lot of folks on AI that this is where they're talking about everything going and definitely less than a decade of these hyper personalized experiences this augmented reality but where we see the rubber hitting the road in this respect is where we see hyper personalized systems I just want to make sure I'm I'm getting you know from your first answer everything we were saying about you know deterministic versus probabilistic systems as you've been describing all three it's more deterministic and more rules based on the automation side on the regular tasks that are repetitive. And then you described a couple of processes where we know there are some repetitive tasks, but the ultimate decision-making is very subjective. It has to consider a lot of of different workflows right now that we're kind of seeing that's probably in the best hands of a human agent with maybe an AI co-pilot of some kind powered by a large language model. And you're saying hyper-personalization, that tends to be the most probabilistic, or at least the systems that are 
that are the least rules based. Do I have that kind of progression matched in, in, in terms of what you're saying, or is there a little bit more nuance there? No, hundred percent. Listen, if, if you need, sure. if you need a clear answer and if you don't want to raise the answer to be wrong, like in, in a fraud system that you want to use your traditional AI, if uh, you want to be a little bit more creative. And actually I think that generative AI is even more potential to disrupt the creative uh, industries uh, rather than, than others. Sure. That's where you want to use your, your gen AI. We talk about hyper-personalization. Let me throw another one in you. Customer interactions and what we yep. call today digital humans. In the past, we all had some, you know, less than positive experiences with, with chatbots. Initial attempts of coding customer interaction into lines of codes. That was a little bit irritating, but especially it was very impersonal because you talk to a line and you, you're there waiting for a cursor to stop blinking and, and start giving you the answer. Today, we can have a digital human that is almost uh, indistinguishable from, from a real human with natural language processing, meaning that he can speak with that tone. It's not a robot-like, but a real tone. And that provides engagement. That provides value. It can, it can answer general questions, but it can also go deeper. And we find with a lot of testing that even if the answer is not perfect, the experience with a digital human uh, creates a lot more satisfaction than with a, with a chatbot. Absolutely. I, I think especially, you know, early pandemic, a little bit pre-pandemic, banks were really experimenting with chatbots. They, I think they've largely been ruled insufficient. And I mean, they don't even get put in the same category as a lot of conversational AI, as you've been describing. I also think, you know, in terms of those those digital humans that, that you're describing, I mean, we'll get to the point in terms of the visuals. I mean, I think they're pretty good right now from everything I've toyed around with in chat GPT and, and other formats of they're good to at at least on the conversational side, that uncanny valley seems to be closing rapidly. I think even on the visual side where they'll probably have some sort of avatar that looks a lot like even my tiny window right now, this tiny window I have in our Zoom call right now, this is not hard to replicate going into the future. You know, right now they look a little bit like kind of bad Pixar movies when they try to do it. But you can tell in a few years, I'd even say maybe down to like 18 months, maybe less. I think the uncanny valley between the image they'll be able to project along with the words and along with, you know, all of that generated content. I really think it's going to start to look really seamless and no different from even our regular Zoom calls right now. A very, very brave new world uh, that we're entering into. And it's great to have perspectives like yours, Fabrizio, to help us navigate it. Thank you so much for being on the program this week. We'll have to have you back. Thank you very much for having us. Wrapping up today's show, I really appreciated the framework with which Fabrizio was talking about first to second generation artificial intelligence technologies. You've heard me make this distinction a few times on the program. I, I generally refer to capabilities like machine learning and predictive analytics as sort of the first generation or 1.0 technologies. And what we're seeing now in the generative AI space is, is 2.0 or second generation AI capabilities for the enterprise. And I think the 
true distinction that Fabrizio was able to bring to today's program in terms of being able to explain the difference and also, for the most part, the difference in popularity that we've seen. I think AI has been on the radar of everyday folks for a while now, but there's a palpable difference in terms of the attention being paid towards these technologies. I think I can speak for the entire world when I say this, at least in the last year or at least since about autumn 2022 versus anything that we had seen before. And I think this makes a lot of sense in terms of the framework that Fabrizio presented in that the older technologies were more rules-based, were more deterministic rather than probabilistic. You might have heard these terms at least before on today's show or now elsewhere in the world as these are not only terms that the AI nerds are only using. These are terms that uh, increasingly my parents are using as well to describe these technologies. But that distinction and that encroachment on the subjective, I think, is another way and in many ways a a much more enlightening way of looking at the difference that we've seen not only in terms of the technology but their reception as well over the last year we really appreciate fabrizio being on and giving us such a clear and concise way of looking at things on behalf of daniel fagella our ceo and head of research as well as the rest of the team here at emerge thanks so much for joining us today and we'll catch you next time on the ai and business podcast